Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest is the one and only David Kinneman, who's the author of several books, including Faith for Exiles, Good Faith, You Lost Me, and Unchristian. He's also the CEO of Barna Group, a leading research and communications company that works with churches, nonprofits, and businesses. And I love talking to David because he has such a good global look at various trends that live at the intersection of the church and culture. So please welcome back to the show, the one and only David Kinneman. It's been a minute, David, since you've been on the podcast, uh, at least a few years, I think. (laughs) I think it has, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's good to see you, though. You too, man. I wish we were hanging out in person shooting birds or something. <laughs> well, you'd be shooting birds and I'd just be aiming at them and missing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funnest. That was one of the funnest weeks of my life. So we went on this, this um, what, some kind of invite only week long hunting trip. We had, we had known each yeah. other, right? But not, we never spent that much time together. And like, I just remember you yeah, walking we, around with a gun on your shoulder. Like, <laughs> I don't know how many times you shot it, maybe once or something. I look natural, but I wasn't very, uh, very good. Um, You're, I think I think I only I think I only pulled the trigger one time. I was like, "Dang, that was loud. That hurt. I'm not going to do it again." <laughs> uh, we had worked on the Nav project before and worked a bit on some research. Um, oh, and, uh, yeah. So we had met and you know interacted, but this was a, a that was a fun fun trip. And I remember coming back, uh, having shot no birds and caught no fish, but really trying very earnestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was after the, the the nav project. That's right. Yeah, we spent a, a bit of time on that. I forgot. I, yeah, that book. I don't. I think like six people have read it, and I I almost want to like redo it because it's it's almost it was, at that time it was almost like I, I know it was interpreting the data on that you that you guys did on discipleship in the church, namely that it's not. We found out it it's not really happening. Right, <laughs> um, right. And then I wrote a book kind of teasing it out, but I kind of took some liberties and kind of like, like extended kind of the discussion. And it be, it became almost like this quasi like church manifesto, or at least it could have been. Um, I almost like want to rewrite that book now, actually, but you anyway. should do it. Yeah. Six, those six people are, are living the true discipleship life. Maybe I could double that, <laughs> that number. Yeah. Well, you, w- w- so I love talking with you for many reasons. Um, ministry wise. I mean, you're one of the, f- you're one of the uniquely positioned people in the country, if not the world, that you spend your time with this global look on what's going on in the church. You know, um, most pastors clearly, you know, don't have this liberty. They're, they're in their own ministry. Even people that kind of speak a lot, like yeah, I speak a lot of different churches, but it's still very anecdotal. Like I can tell you, yeah, I was at maybe 30 different churches last year, but I, you know, I'm there for a couple of days. I'm talking to leadership. I'm not really getting to know kind of boots on the ground issues, what's going on, but you have been doing this for how long has it been? Like almost 30 years, right? 28 years. It has been. Yeah, no, it was, I started in 95. So we're 28 years and counting and never had any expectation to, to stick at this and sort of like each month or each year that goes by, I'm like, wow, I'm still doing this. And I love it. I love it. Um, I thought I would be a pastor. I thought I would do either that or actually an architect. I really, I really have enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the artistic side and the, and the idea of how we build our spaces and our spaces end up shaping us. And so there's, there's something about sort of even a theology of space that I think I've been drawn to, even as I've done this work. And, um, so yeah, I ended up, you know, sort of getting a job straight out of college and thought it would be an interesting sort of, you know, sort of detour on my way to local church ministry. And as the Lord has had it, uh, that is uh, now 28 years and counting. Wow. What are some here? I guess here's where I want to go this morning. What, like, what are some either interesting or surprising trends you you've been working on recently? I know you do so many different projects. I know you do a lot of stuff with pastors in particular, and I've, I've, you know, paid attention to some of that, but are there some, like some, some, some trends that like wake you up in the morning, like this, this is really something that the church needs to either consider or respond to or improve on. Um, yeah. Well, I think first it's a really fun time to be a social researcher. And uh, the last couple of years with the pandemic uh, were, were actually as hard as they were. Um, and I had a you know, personal tragedy with my, my wife passing away during that time. She'd been sick a long time, but passed in 2020 um, as hard as those years were, they were also a lot of fun. And I think um, 
there's there's something you know there's so many interesting trends that sort of wake us up and get us moving and some of them is just this great disintegration of the the religious connectedness that people have our society and and there's sort of I'm a big believer that there's sort of like two things can be true at once and and so on the one hand and this is I don't want to say this um in any way to minimize this because this is a very very important finding is that the 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 church and christianity in in our society in America in particular in North America is is quite strong and vibrant in ways that I think defy expectation and so we're not you know the the church isn't going to close tomorrow and there's you know tens of millions of people that are active Christians and in fact one of the most interesting parts of that is that there's a, a rise of overall spiritual openness since the pandemic really? uh, that yeah 44% of adults say they're more interested in god today than they were at the start of the pandemic and that was just uh, just a couple that was uh, late last year 2022 um, when we when we took that poll and even young people were much more likely to say that, that was true and other indicators too there's kind of an open spiritual moment so at the same time as there's some really good signs of hope we're also living in a time when uh you, you know there there is certainly less religious activity i think covid really showed that there is a huge lack of discipleship uh maybe there are more people that would buy your book today than uh back <laughs> back you know almost 10, 8, 10 years ago um there there really is almost like this covid revealed how so many of the ways that we're trying to form people are insufficient to the task and um and there's a ton of church hurt there's a ton of disillusionment a ton of de- deconstructing that's happening as people sort of say is this the way Jesus told us to do this is this what is mm. this is this the right the right thing and so we're living in a very disintegrating kind of time and we see that i think in in politics is sort of another expression of that like how and in what ways does the church show up in the political space um you know i think you and i share a conviction that we're living in a time of something like exile, uh, you, you know, that, that God has taken his people into a, in different times and different periods in a, in a way that is a different kind of dependence on him. And so I've written a lot about digital Babylon and I know you're, mm-hmm. you've, you've really been writing and thinking a lot about the notion of exile. So that's that kind of disintegrative time. It's, it, it's hard, but it's also like, it's a really great, beautiful time when, when things can bubble up that were unexpected and a new kind of faithfulness can emerge. I'm curious that you mentioned, I mean, there's so many things we could drill down, but the, the specifically the church hurt, is that, is that related to the pandemic or what, what or is it just, it happened to a growing number of people that experienced church hurt happened to also, you know, sort, sort of blossom around 2020 or is there something more directly related to the pandemic? Um, no, I think it's, um, it's, a, first of all, I mean, as, as long as there are humans, other humans are going to hurt other humans. And so the, the Christian community, um, you know, has since the dawn of time, Paul writes about his, uh, his, his disillusionment and his disappointment with some of his fellow, you know, some fellow travelers. And, and an interesting, like Paul was such an interesting case study of, you know, um, the old famous book of F.F. Bruce, the apostle of the heart set free. And he himself experienced a kind of heart set free. It's, it's actually one of the things that really, in my mind, is such a, a witness to the reality of the gospel is here's this man who is writing in a very contemporary way around his inner life and his, his connections and his hurts. And his you know, even in second Corinthians, there's this interesting little phrase where he says, some of you think I'm not really that good at uh, public speaking, but you just wait, I'm going to get back there, get back there and lecture you like, like no, no time before. And so, you know, he's, he's bringing his own insecurities and is, he's just very self-aware in a way that just feels, um, you know, like the, the spirit of God had been alive and active in, in helping to show him things about himself. So, you know, church hurt is as old as time, but um, there, there is something, I think, uh, about our, our moment, about um, kind of these um, waves and waves of, of skepticism and cynicism, the there's a, there's a whole trend we've sort of studied with with Gen Zers about the kinds of ways that memes uh, create kind of a little um, language of of humor and often that's just funny but it also creates this I think pressure point where you know as we're up front as leaders and speakers and organizers of humans there's always been a conversation happening beneath the surface that we're not always fully aware of but just imagine. If people are paying attention, 
uh, while they're at your church service or in your youth group, now there's the possibility of, you know, you stand up and you've got everything. You do 99 things right, but you do one thing wrong. And they're sharing a meme of the doofus from the stage. And um, again, that's if they're paying attention to that. That's, that's good if they're, you know, they're hanging with you and they can call you on your hypocrisy or your, 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 your little bumble. Right. And, um, and it's so hard because as communicators, there are words we might choose or ways of communicating or times we tell on ourselves that are really humble brags or not so humble brags. Um, so all those things have accumulated, um, rightly and wrongly. I mean, the adversary of our souls is always trying to remind us, you know, God really say that this group of people could love you unconditionally. Did God really come and tell you this would be a leader you could follow? Um, so there's always a spiritual dimension to this and we want people to bring their brains and their, their hearts and their, their good, healthy skepticism. But we're finding that, you know, at least half of millennials and Gen Z talk about, um, having been, you know, deeply hurt, deeply disappointed, deeply, uh, frustrated with their experience at a Christian church. And, and that is, and, and, you know, sort of like, has Jesus left the building or has the church left Jesus? And so I think there's some really good questions. I think it's acute. I think the pandemic, um, for the most part, church has earned a lot of favor and a lot of positivity in our society during the pandemic. Uh, people see Christians a little bit less as the problem today than they did six years ago. Um, uh, when Gideon's and I did a book called Good Faith, and it was like half of all Americans think that Christian churches are part of the problem. So that number is not as high today as it was before the pandemic. I think that, I think churches really? did a good job trying to come in and solve and be practically oriented around the issues that people faced. Uh, but so I, I think church hurt is is accelerated in the digital commons as well. It's easy, much much more easy to find and hear and you know to, to tell these sort of minority reports around experiences and then to band together and then to realize, oh yeah, a lot of other people have these sort of expressions of, 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 um, disappointment and disillusionment. And, um, so I think there's, I think there's some, the good news about that is it's almost like the mental health crisis and our language around mental health challenges. People actually have the capacity to talk about these things in a pretty open way. And that, that I think is the first step towards healing. You mentioned Gen Z and millennials being frustrated with with the church. What 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 are the things they're frustrated with? Would you say is there some big ones that stand out, or is it kind of all over the map? It's a bit over the all over the map. But I mean, we we, we have prepared this generation for success, but we haven't prepared them for suffering. That's one of the key themes we've been learning uh, in the research. And they actually, we did a huge global study uh, called the Open Generation with teenagers around the world since the pandemic. And it was a really cool study showing just how much there's still a, a, an openness and a desire for spirituality in people's lives. Um, there's a real like hope that, you know, that there's like a real belief that Jesus is a, is a real, um, there's openness to scripture, even among non-Christian young people. Um, the, the, this idea of the rumors of uh, Christianity's demise among the, a new generation are greatly exaggerated. It's really a pretty, pretty, mm cool story. They're open and they're open to a lot of things and they're open to anything. That is part of the challenge. How do we talk about issues of gender or sexuality or any of these things? Cause they're sort of like, they're open and it's like, you know, that's great. They're open, but do they ever close on anything? <laughs> um, this, this church hurt then comes, I think from a lot of different places. I mean, obviously there are always a set of theological questions that come like, did Jesus, is he really the only way, the, ex the exclusive claim to Christ? Um, a lot of stuff around language and emotional connectedness. Um, and again, this is, uh, it's it's not easy, but again, I think the, the reality is pastors and leaders and, and Christian leaders have to be very, very um, Christ-like and very, you know, humbly able to talk about the issues that people face and then to do so in a way that doesn't come across as, um, you know, an arrogant person who's already got all these answers settled. And so I've seen it in my own children's lives as they're, they're young adults now, but just as we go to church churches and visit different places and even how they can handle issues of how churches and church leaders talk about grief or loss or whatever. And, and it's like, it's very personal to them. So, you know, like you have to be able to 
speak in a general way to everyone, but re- realize that people have a lot of accumulated hurts and challenges. And, you know, if, if this Christian way of life means anything, it's got to be expressed in the real lives and real world words of people. Um, but there's, a, a, there's a, there's a growing, I think, set of questions around kind of the, uh, I would say I, I call it histrionics of church, the, you know, the, the performance side of worship mm-hmm. and, um, the kind of the business of church, you know, if we're honest, there is a sort of business of ministry. I mean, even the Old Testament addresses the Levitical code and the, the you know, the tools and techniques and, and um, rituals. Um, but I think this generation is sort of, they, they don't just want a great concert. I heard this line recently that it's like so, so many churches are, you know, sort of like a, a Coldplay concert followed by a TED Talk followed by a short Coldplay concert. And uh <laughs> And it's like they, they can get a TED talk and get a Coldplay concert. And I'm, I'm, I attend a great church and we, you know, worship more in that style, more, you know, more of a, a charismatic style. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it's just like, how do we really break through? People have to be the conclusion of the matter for me is this, that people have to be transformed in heart, mind, body and soul. And if it's only if it's only emphasized around sort of a, an emotional experience, what we're seeing and hearing from people is they say, I was actually emotionally manipulated to come to this c- conclusion about Christ. Um, the chord progression, the lights were right. The words were, yeah. were t- tuned towards a particular thing. And uh, they, they look back later and they say, I was emotionally manipulated. Um, and so to that is to, you know, use emotion, but also use heads, you know, our, our intellect yeah. and our f- physical, you know, bodies and our, our volunteerism and our generosity yeah. and our, our vocations and, the more we can holistically disciple back to that theme we talked about at the beginning, uh, the more people are, are actually sort of insulated from seeing this as just a, you know, a, a dog and pony show. Well, I'm hearing you say like, you didn't quite say this. So let's let me know if I'm interpreting it correctly. Um, like maybe 20, 30 years ago, like a really good kind of performance. And I'm using that term neutrally, but like the Sunday morning is, is done very well, right? It, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it touches your emotions. The the songs are powerful. The preachings, you know, p- powerful or relevant or attractive. Maybe um, that used to really drop like that, that attractional model that would really draw people in. And then it was like, okay, now they're in, now we got to figure out how to disciple these people. I'm hearing you say that, whether or not that worked with older generations, with younger millennials, Gen Z, they're not going to be as attracted to that. Any like they're not as impressed, maybe, with that kind of stuff as older generations were. Would, would that be a general? No, I think that's accurate, and I think because <clears throat> two things. I mean, one, um, you know, per- per- performance. Again, to use that phrase neutrally, per- performance technology has improved greatly. And it's also true that so many of the good ideas and innovations that have come largely from North American Christianity, the sort of um, some of the mega mega church sort of style um, worship and communication and, and, and tools and programming. And they, you know, they've found, found ways to annoy people the least. And again, I think that's actually a good thing. A lot of small churches are, you know, they, they can, they can have bumps along the road. And, and again, I think there's something really powerful and beautiful gospel ministry happens in smaller churches. And sometimes that is part of the thing is we actually learn to, you know, be with each other and around each other, even in the things that don't quite feel as polished. But I think what's happening is we could probably have a great conversation around just like the history of um, more contemporary worship and and worship styles and more, more clear com- and compelling communication and, and uh, obviously the Jesus movement and the megachurch and seeker movement and other things have kind of created this, this moment. And all those things in take, taken in total have been, I think, meaningful innovations and, 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 and spiritual moves that have helped to make the, the, the church and the message of Christianity even more contemporary to our, our society, whatever the generation. I think what's happening, though, is we need a new, a new wave of innovation around how we actually do this because those are good table stakes. Like when it's done well, it's done really well. And almost anyone could enjoy and find meaning and emotional resonance. And if their hearts are open, you know, God can work through a hike in the woods. God can work in a contemporary worship service and he can work in a, 
in a traditional service and he can work in every setting and he does speak to us in all those different things. So I think we need both, we need to awaken people's sensibility that God is speaking in and through these forms um, inside and outside the walls of the church. We also need some new innovations to help people understand um, how to respond when even for the, you know, like pastors certainly understand the question of, you know, like the routines that we do, because they themselves often admit to us in our research that they have a hard time worshiping in mm. church because um, it's become a business, it's become, it's become part of their daily thing. So they have to find other ways to worship that aren't just on Sunday at their church because they're thinking about a million other details. So if that's true for us as pastors, that also can be true for people that have been there for, you know, a, a year, years or whatever. So, so they have come, become you know, people's minds are become more routine oriented. And I think that's part of what's happening. Our society is like, okay, we kind of got this. It's not bad. We should keep doing it, but it's the table stakes then for other ways of interacting with people to bring them along on their spiritual journey. And, um, I, would just, be, I, think I, I would like anecdotally that this is a point that where I, my anecdote really matches, I think what you're, you're saying. Like I feel, yeah, especially as I work with young and, and, and I feel like, the kinds of people I interact with, they they have a you know they might they already kind of have maybe a little bit of jadedness with church. Uh, maybe it's healthy, maybe it's unhealthy. And and I think sometimes when people have church hurt, we just think, wow, your church must have been really screwed up. But I'm like, well, let's you know, it, it, people are people, and and some people have legitimate church hurt. Sometimes they did something bad, and the, you know, <laughs> like the, right. the, the fault isn't always at the church. So I don't want to put all the blame on the church unless I hundred percent agree. I hundred percent agree with that. Um, I, I do send just what you said, like, oh, we got this. We've been doing this. Like almost like a um I don't want to say boredom, but almost want to say that, you know, like just that that and I do I do feel I kept put my finger on it, but it feels like COVID exacerbated this a little bit. And I don't know why. I don't I can only identify anecdotal correlation, no actual causation, but just kind of like all right, we we we're now back, you know, and we're just going back to the same thing and uh, almost like this 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 itch for something more deeper, more meaningful that people don't even really know what that is. But I do see, I see a higher number of committed Jesus loving Christians that are just either bored of church or they go out of duty or they're not, they, they would say, yeah, there was a time when I just couldn't wait to go, go to, go to church. And when I say go to church, I mean, go to the Sunday service, you know, and I just see it all. It feels like an increasing number of people that are super solid, you know, that are, so solid Jesus committed people that are just kind of like, yeah, I go. Cause I kind of, you know, I yeah. feel bad if I didn't go to church, you know, but you know, any chance they get to not go to church, they would, you know, leap at that opportunity. Is that, is that, is that, I mean, again, this is purely anecdotal from just random people I've kind of feeling out. So. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think you're, you're really onto something even talking about this. I think it's helping me pull some threads together. So, you know, after COVID, I think we all have gone through these, questions of, of like, what do we really want out of life? Um, I mean, to a greater or lesser extent, everyone has sort of had to face certain questions uh, about themselves and about the world, and about their work and about their worship that they wouldn't have had to confront um, about, you know, about their white supremacy, about their racism, about other things. A friend of mine, Mindy Caliguire, had this really great analogy that, you know, we, we were all before COVID, we were all skinny dipping in the surf uh, and nobody noticed because the water was really murky. But then COVID, like the tide went out and we were all like, oh, we all we're all skinny dipping and we all realize we have real that's issues. Great analogy. Um, and so I think I think that's happened for work and the workplace for, you know, for how people I mean, obviously, it's like, do we really want to drive to the office every day? Well, no, I don't think some people ha- did. And, and it's interesting because boomers are the ones that have most. Uh, most steeply declined in their church attendance since COVID. And really? it's almost as, yeah, I mean, millennials and Gen Z have actually had a bit of a resurgence to church. You know, they're not, they're not breaking down the walls, but they're, but they're, they've sort of recovered church attendance and actually slightly higher, especially people of color among younger generations. And so boomers are kind of like, yeah, you know, I think we're kind of just, we're just going to ride this one. Not all boomers, but they're like, we're just going to kind of ride this one out. So, I again for for listeners I I I love my local church here I've got a new church here in, in in Texas where I'm living and I think you know every week 
what men and women do to usher people into the presence of God yeah. uh, in this church and in many thousands, tens of thousands of other churches across the United States and around the world is, is pretty compelling and amazing. And I don't have a better way to do it. I'm just saying that I think, and when I say innovations, I'm not like, hey, we need some new cool trick. I just, I think, I think there's just a way for us to start picturing, you know, the embodied community in some new and deeper ways. And many churches are doing this, they're thinking about it, but we have to recognize that for some people, a the, kind of the hype man, like mentality um, is, is, is tough. And, and so we need, one of the ways we've described this is we need churches of contributors, not yeah. churches of consumers of gospel content. And, and so I have this vision. We at Barna have this vision along with some of our partners. Uh, like, did you know that only 30% of practicing Christians, which is only six ticks higher than the, no, the norm of 24 have ever taken a, a skill or gifts or spiritual, spiritual gifts assessment, including uh, strength finder, spiritual gifts inventory, Enneagram. I was shocked by this number and I'm not usually shocked by research because I've done it long enough now where I'm, I'm usually within a few, you know, I can guess pretty well where people are going to land. Um, but I thought this would be the majority of practicing Christians have done, you know, what in, I, what in my circles, like everyone's, you know, any, what numbers your Enneagram, what's your Myers-Briggs, what's your whatever, whatever, what are your strengths. And, and it turns out that's kind of a, a particular set of conversations that we have in our, in our set yeah, I would have guessed that percentage would have been way higher because yeah, same yeah. thing. I, everybody I talked to is like, "What's your number, or whatever?" And, and I think I think there's some more. We probably have to measure it again some other ways. But the point is that people are not, by and large, figuring out who they are, their giftedness, their capabilities, their who they are in Christ, the what kind of a masterpiece they've been made to be. And and I just think that is one of the the great opportunities of the future is to become the sort of people development organization mm -hmm. with, with in view how God has wired us. I mean, when Paul writes to Timothy and says, remember the faith of your gra grandmother and your mother, Lois and, and uh, Priscilla, I think it is. Uh, one of them is Lois. Remember the faith of your grandparent, grandmother and your mother, which is interesting about, it's not, there's no uh, male figure there. And then it's like, and we, we, we don't forget this sort of calling when we laid hands on you, these, these gifts, we fan them into flames and uh, and then and then he says um, you've been given a spirit not of fear but of power, love, and of sound mind, which is which is a beautiful expression of a non-anxious presence in an age of anxiety. By the way, right. and that all comes from this sort of self-awareness and even like ge genetic and spiritual heritage awareness. And so I I have this vision again. I think when I say like worship and contemporary worship and some of the the tools of, of how we convene people and communicate in a, in a large venue or a medium venue or a small venue. There's a reason why, you know, human beings, you start to assemble them and then just certain particular things come out and that's okay. That there, you know, churches are some of the best human assembly uh, organizations yeah. in the history of, of, of humanity. Uh, but, but there, I just wonder if there's other things that could, could really help empower and activate people into their God-given uh, capabilities yeah. and not just become great volunteers in our programs and our, you know, children's ministries and our, you know, boards. That's fine. There's a place yeah. for that. But I think people are, there's a huge volunteer crisis in churches, pastors worn out, um, four out of 10 said they wanted to quit in the last year, which is a huge number. There's a mental health crisis among pastors. And I think it's because we're trying to do all this stuff on our own. We're not actually activating people to their God-given potential. So, you know, how do we become more like uh, kind of, you know, vocational and career development and, um, you know, human potential, not just for like, you know, social issues like, hey, you know, like you're a good person. We want to know, you know, what you're good at. It's yeah. like, no, this is we have a, a theology of a creator who's made us to do these special works in the world. And let's let's all live into that uh, together and as individuals, a priesthood of all believers. Exiles in Babylon 2024. That's right, folks. We're doing it again. Our third annual Exiles in Babylon conference will be held on April 18th through the 20th, uh, 2024 here in Boise, Idaho. And this one is going to be an absolute barn burner, as we say here in Idaho. The topics we're going to discuss are uh, deconstruction and the church. 
And we're going to actually hear from people who have deconstructed and others who maybe should have deconstructed but didn't. We're also going to discuss women, power, and abuse in the church, which is obviously a huge issue that we absolutely need to discuss. Um, we're going to talk about faith and sexuality, specifically how can churches become places where uh, LGBTQ or same-sex attracted Christians can flourish within a traditional sexual ethic. Lastly, we're going to discuss, can't believe we're doing this one, we're going to discuss politics. That's right. Politics and the church where we're going to have uh, various speakers present. We're going to have a right-leaning Christian, a left-leaning Christian, and a I don't know, what do you call them? A nonpartisan or Anabaptist-ish Christian share their perspectives, um, share their perspective. And we're going to put them all in conversation with each other. And of course, we're going to have Evan Wickham and Tanika Wyatt uh, leading us in worship throughout the weekend. I really, really, really want to mix it up this year. We're going to hear from leading thinkers in each of these areas. We're going to we're going to be having different viewpoints in conversation with each other. It's going to be honest. It's going to be raw. And you're not going to want to miss out. I really think this one's going to fill up quickly. So if you want to attend in person, Boise, Idaho, April 18th through the 20th, register very, very soon. Just go to theologyintheraw.com. That's theologyintheraw.com. I really hope to see you there. Hey friends, it's Chris Sprinkle here. Preston and I are always looking for ways to come alongside and help empower vulnerable people. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Noonday Collection. I learned about Noonday Collection several months ago and have been so impressed by its heart and mission behind it. It partners with artisans in 15 different countries by creating dignified jobs and employment opportunities for people in vulnerable communities. And because of their fair wages and their dignified work, women are leaving prostitution and children are receiving an education and families are even staying together. Our friend Jessica Honiger, she started Noonday Collection over 13 years ago because she wanted to help empower women around the globe to find a way for sustainable living and freedom. She has gone around the world looking for unrecognized, talented artisans and created a business partnership with them. So if you're looking for high quality jewelry, clothing and accessories, and you care about empowering vulnerable women, come shop with Noonday Collection. All the products are high quality, handcrafted, and honestly, they are incredibly beautiful. If you're needing an accessory for yourself or you need a gift for a friend, consider purchasing it at Noonday. By doing so, you are making a difference in the world's most vulnerable communities. Go to chrissprinkle.noondaycollection.com. That is C-H-R-I-S sprinkle.noondaycollection.com. So here, here's what I, you're, you're touching on this. I want to frame it maybe differently. I don't know if you're familiar with, um, is it, uh, I want to say that it was Phyllis Tickle, um, author, who said, oh, gosh, I'm going to misquote it. I th- I'm pretty sure it was her who said, you know, every 500 years, it's like the church has a rummage sale. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a great concept. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're on year 500 now. It's like 500 years ago, the print, the, the invention of the printing press just revolutionized society. Like society pre-printing press, when most people are illiterate, now most people are illiterate. You have information spread among the masses. You have just ripple effects, right, of that societal shift. Well, we're now just barely, we're still in the eye of the storm, really, historically speaking, of, of the internet, social media, throwing a pandemic, throwing, you know, um, globalization, and we're, we're there. We're, we're, you know, so what are, what are the, if her concept is accurate, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's not like a gospel truth, but it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like we sometimes get in a routine and, and we have to like, what are the things we're just kind of throwing up in the attic? We need to, we need to all right, have a big rummage sale, clear out the attic, throw out the stuff we don't need anymore, keep the stuff we do, you know, grandmother's wedding dress, whatever. <laughs> take, the, take the analogy too far. Um, so my, here's my question is, what have we or what should we take out of the attic? What, what are some things that we just do as a church machine, church rhythm, that's like, wh- why are we doing this? Like, this, does this directly affect our mission, our, our ministry, our discipleship? Is this giving us life? Is it giving other people life? Or is it just stuff in the attic that's just there? I, I, I thought we would, I thought the pandemic would have done some of that. Anecdotally, it seems like, and I don't have the answer. I'm just, all I do is just deconstruct. I, I don't do any reconstruction. <laughs> like, all, it just, it seems like that's we're that's just that's so excited. Good, but I appreciate you asking. <laughs> and and I and I want to I, I say this a lot of my podcast just so you know and I'll say it again people get sick of me you know I I, I want to affirm like you said like I my 
hats off to pastors and church leaders who are waking up every day trying to figure out how they can best reach people, how they can best preach sermons that affect people, lead worship services that 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 bring people in the presence of God. So if if anything sounds like I'm being kind of critical, I think I'm trying to offer a healthy evaluation of the global the larger church kind of system, not at all saying like, oh you pastors, whatever. I I pastors have have my um utmost respect. Um the ones that you know aren't covering up abuses and, you know, harming women and, you know, all the, all the garbage. But they're, they're, I know so many pastors that are just, their hearts are just absolutely for people. So hats yeah. off to you. But having said that, have we weeded out anything from our attic? And if not, why is that? And if we should, what are the things you th- you think based on data that, man, we, we there's some things that we should really at least evaluate, whether these are things that we should be focusing on as as a big C church. Does that make sense? It's kind of a long question. <laughs> no, it, does. It, it absolutely does. And what's really, really great about this moment is that pastors for the first time um, and in a large way have said they're open to new models uh, that they probably weren't open to, you know, 36, 48 months ago. We're, we're open to some new models. And again, I, am, I really want to sort of really echo the things you said. If any of the things that I am articulating sound cynical toward the work of pastors, churches, leaders. Um, it's not meant to be. It's just really an invitation into a, a set of questions and a set of cultural understandings that might take us to something that is new and fresh. And, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus says there's new, new wineskins. You don't pour, pour new wine into old wineskins. And I think we are in, absolutely in a new wineskin kind of moment, a kind of rummage sale, as the philistical analogy goes. Where my head went, went when I heard you talking was, Earlier this summer, I listened through 21 Days with Pete Gregg. He was doing a, a pilgrimage um, from Iona to Lindisfarne and a uh, 300-mile walk. And he wow. would do daily uh, Electio 365 uh, sort of observations. And, and Pete is a, a, a wonderful and godly uh, man and man of prayer. And um, he was reflecting in one of the, one of the episodes um, about the Celtic Christians who said chose not to build congregations, but they built basically prayer houses. Um, he called them studio art, artistic studios where they would do, you know, illuminated manuscripts. They were hostels for the poor and for travelers. Um, hmm. You know, they, they, they built a different kind of ecosystem to, to help support the, the, their vision of what it meant to be part of the Christian community. And we have this today too. I mean, we have organizations that are doing, missions and arts and music and and all, all sorts of things. But we have created, I think, sometimes a bit of a, a vision that, you know, the only way to, to be the church is to do kind of local church, congregational, here's what we do, and we're all part of something. And and I, when we do interviews, one thing that's interesting is that people will often talk about an experience, sometimes, let's say, as a student at a Christian university where it's residential, or they'll talk about you know, youth with a mission, or they'll talk about some experience that they have that they're like, man, this is almost, it feels like what the church should be. And and I keep mm. wondering like, well, maybe that is huh. the expression of the church. And we've been so busy trying to, and some of this comes actually, again, not to be cynical, but just to be aware there's been, a, there's been a good and healthy discussion, like where does the money flow? And we don't want, you know, sort of parachurch organizations to be taking resources that might otherwise flow to local congregations. And again, I think those are all really good and healthy conversations, but there's been a little bit of this, like, well, it's, if it's not the local church, if it's not the, if it's not, you know, expressions of, you know, what we've come to understand as a, you know, a, a congregation that meets in a certain place at a certain time, um, then it's not really the local church. And that's the purest form of the church. And, and so, you know, even in so much of like, let me, let me just kind of geek out with you for a second, but, you know, there's a phrase that's the last 30 years has been used and I don't remember when it came exactly, but this, it's a phrase that the local church is the hope of the world. I'm pretty sure it came from Willow. Um, it might've been someone else said it before that, but the local church isn't the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. (laughs) And, and so this notion that, you know, the local church is, you know, essential to the mission of Christ. It's the, the rock on which Jesus builds people. And, you know, like, of course, it's like essential. But I just think we've 
we've really created an idol sometimes out of what we've come to imagine is is the church. And so I think we're just in a time of real invitation of what could be imagined, like what would it look like for people to create monastic communities? Mm. Um, I'm on a personal mission these next number of years to reintegrate the education muscle of, of the pedagogical tools into local churches that help people not just, so, so I believe there's different ways people learn and um, there's lots and lots of research on this. And uh, sermons and the oratorical tools of homiletics um, are, are one of many, many chords that could be strummed where people learn. And mm-hmm. it is a particular kind of pedagogy, uh, rhetorical tools that um, th- that is spiritual in nature. I mean, Christ walks among us when we are preaching him. Like meals, you don't look back and say, hey, um, I think this is one of the best analogies of sermons that you know, we, we don't look back and say that we can remember every single meal we've eaten, but the, the sum total of all the meals we've eaten multiple times per day have created the cellular structures of our bodies and we needed mm. daily food. And so sermons are a little bit like our daily, our daily bread, but no one learned to play a piano. No one learned to do brain surgery. No one learns to, to become a writer. No one learns to ride a bike. No one learns to be fully human only by listening to sermons. I mean, you just imagine someone who's going to like try, try to take piano lessons and, and you sign up your kid to learn piano, this technical skill of piano. And then, you know, you take them and, um, and they just, they just play a YouTube video or they, you know, you take them over to the house and the person just like, well, you know, they open, let, let's open up the first book, you know, first book of Bach and we'll just tell you some things and we're going to just, and you know, you just start preaching to the person. And um, again, I think part of the experience for people is that, you know, we have this great tradition in, in Christianity of of really understanding humans, how they're made, how they're wired, the psychology of learning, the rhetorical tools, Christian education. I mean, it wasn't like Christianization back in the day. It was just education. And, and Christians invented, in some ways, the kind of uh, environments where people learn. So we just need to reintegrate those pedagogical tools into the life of, yeah. wait for it, local churches. I actually think churches can be learning communities where huh. there's actually a curriculum uh, a way of saying, like, we're going to teach you to think about some of these complicated issues in a much more didactic way or experiential way or kinetic way, relational way. And we're going to continue to preach Christ and, and use mm-hmm. that tool because there's nothing like the power of a great sermon to change a life and to bring us, uh, you know, into into God's presence and to understand our great need, our sinful need, uh, our sin and our great need for the, for a savior. But those are, those are examples. I think we're yeah. in a time where we have to rethink um, even how we teach, how we instruct, how we think about learning, uh, because it turns out that, you know, the, the, the rhetorical tools, the pedagogical tools at, at the ready are actually very insufficient for the kind of life change we're actually trying to achieve in people. So, yeah, I have so many questions, more questions than thoughts, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I've often kind of thought like, you know, prior to the internet, social media and everything, like you know, monologue oration for 45 plus minutes was a very natural way in which humans kind of consumed information. That world doesn't exist anymore. Like we, we our brains have been kind of rewired. I just read a stat the other day that we, we humans consume more information in, in a single day than 300 years ago. I'm going to misquote it. So, so don't just, it's something like this. <laughs> then, then the, then the smartest person on earth consumed in a lifetime 300 years ago. And the average person is having to process inf- more information in one day, and our brain just can't handle it, right? And so, right. And, and so this is maybe one of the more negative effects. You know, it's fascinating is, is that study showed that the, a way that humans can cope with that much information is we resort to stereotypes. Like we can't, we can't, we can't handle the diversity of this person or that person. That's this viewpoint, that viewpoint. We can't talk to you know. It's just all out. so we just categorize people in these little boxes yeah or, you know identity markers yeah. yeah it's fascinating i was like gosh well that's a problem anyway i i think just just even like the the way we process information it, i think it's more beneficial when it is maybe more di- dialogical when there is questions you know you're allowed to ask questions i mean right now the sunday morning sermon is one of the last places in the information universe where there's no chance for people to kind of respond or, you know, for good or for ill. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not even saying this is like good or bad. I'm just saying we're, we're, we're living in a, in a different cultural moment than, than existed 
than that existed 30, 40 years ago. And yet, I think some of our communication of information, and again, I don't want to dumb down the, the, the power of the spirit and the sermon and all that. I just want to say, I just ask bigger questions. Like, is there, is there, is there a more holistic way or ways in which the church can foster uh, helping people engage God in a way that would stick in a way that would resonate with kind of how humans are now wired. And Mike, so my, here's, here's my actual question is where do podcasts fit in? <laughs> Have you thought of, I don't want to start to think of like a violent turn here, but I mean, there's 40,000 people listening to this conversation right now. Well, when it comes out and it's like, well, it doesn't, it's not really meaningful. And, and you know, people may, maybe they're vacuuming and listening or whatever, but I fed, I mean, loads of emails, to people that, lost her faith and came back because they listened to a conversation, just a simple, just listening to a conversation. I mean, I could, I can show you loads of people who have been genuinely impacted by simply listening to two Christians talk about just random stuff in a, in a genuine way. Like, what do we do with that? Like where, where, where does this, because right now things like podcasts or YouTube or whatever, like all these other ways in which people are being impacted, I think positively for the gospel they're just kind of on the fringes of like they're not integrated. There's no ecclesiology of podcasting, you know. Should there be? Maybe no, I, maybe there shouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> I think there sh- I think there should be. And I think uh, first of all, what a what a sacred honor you had with so many listeners and for those that are listening in, even even just hearing that, reminding reminding us, reminding me of sort of these sacred journeys that people have been on. And I just want to say to you, like, if the church has hurt you, and if you've been on your journey, and if you've you're just here today to kind of try to put some things back together, you know, we, we don't have answers other than to say, you know, for, for me personally, after everything I've been through losing a wife to brain cancer and, you know, being now and solidly in the middle ages of my life that, you know, I, I have come to believe that there is a creator of the universe who really, who really wants to walk with us through, through the high highs and especially through the dark nights of the soul. And so, you know, we're glad you're here and these are very sacred conversations. And I think this is, Partly what I'm suggesting is I think this is an expression of what it means to be the church. You know, we're not sitting in a church. We're not, uh, you know, talking to a, an official in a, in a clerical way, a pastor. You know, I think I think these are important expressions of it. And this is this is I think a church can become a kind of conduit with almost like reading and listening lists and viewing lists and um, invitations into these deeper and, and fun conversations. And, um, and we do need a mental map and guides for the level of complexity and the amount of information that we are able to take in. And, um, so yeah, I'm a, I think there is an ecclesiology of podcasts. I, I have used this little phrase, uh, the, the theology of, uh, sorry, they call it the, um, the gospel according to YouTube. And, (laughs) um, you know, there is a real sense in which, you know, tons of spiritual content is being consumed on any given moment uh, on that platform. Good, bad, and different, you know, stuff that would make your stomach squirm, stuff that would bring you to tears. Um, and and uh, millions of people, tens of millions of people are being discipled every day, you know, towards and away from the, the truest version of themselves in Christ. Hmm. And uh, and so I think, I think the church has to, I mean, one of the great things about COVID I think, and again, there's a good discussion around, you know, the, the validity and the the place for kind of virtual worship. But, you know, I think it, it helped churches grapple with, uh, you know, the the semi-permeable lives that people live, you know, the work, work from home, worship from home. And again, great discussions. I'm not a big like, hey, you should just sit in your PJs every every weekend and, and make that a habit. But I think it, it forced churches to deal with the reality of the digital commons in a way that I think prior to COVID, it was easy to ignore. And even more now, we have to recognize that people are spending so much of their, of their mental energy and their identities are being, you know, they're, they're sort of immersed in this, in this metaverse, in this, in this world that is partly real, partly, you know, partly digital, <clears throat> um, you know, kind of the, I was listening to a podcast yesterday about about blood pressure and about health and biometrics. And, you know, we, we have these smart devices now and like there, there's, there's, there was a discussion like when can a smart watch, when will it be able to measure our blood pressure? And, you know, we're not, mm. we're not right there yet, but it's like, it's, it's around the corner and just how uh, essential some of these, these tools are now we're at the dawn of AI. I mean, what an incredible and amazing time to be alive. I mean, we're, we're, 
we're living in a time that's really like was described in the dystopian fiction of, you know, the last hundred years. And so where does the church show up in that? And I think it can be as simple as, you know, a, a worship service and a time of breaking bread together and communion and listening to a sermon, but it can be also as complicated and as, as uh, high velocity as this technicolor discipleship program that says, Hey, we're going to listen to podcasts. We're going to do this. Like, you know, what is it? What is a, what is a course on learning how to think and live as a Christian relative to some of these topics? Um, you can't preach human sexuality. I mean, that's, that's, I think something we've talked about before and why I commend the work you're trying to do and others, because, you know, it's, it's not just, you, you can't just, you know, preach on, you can preach on the topic, but you can't preach your way through all the aspects of that. There are books that have to be read. There's yeah. conversations to be had. There's a training about the heart set that we have towards, uh, you know, people that we disagree with or people who have different perspectives or, you know, or, or different orientations. And uh, those are, those are mission critical. And so how do we disciple a whole generation on issues of human sexuality without, without courses, without thinking, without reading, without talking, and those are not going to happen um, as effectively on a Sunday morning in a worship service. So that it has to be both hand. So, you know, I do, I do this conference every year, Exiles in, in Babylon. Um, shout out to Exiles. Uh, April 18th to the 20th, if you're free, David. Um, and so we do a blend of, well, a blend of short talks, uh, extensive conversations on stage, audience Q&A. We mix in worship in multiple languages. We do uh, some... Um, spoken word poetry intermingled throughout. So we're trying to, the stage is, has a di- diverse range of things going on with regard to, again, this is, I, I wish I had data on this, but the, the actual monologue talks from the speakers. And then after a few people give a talk then we all sit down on the couch and have a 45 minute ish conversation, I would say there has been just as many aha to mind blowing to applause type moments in the, in the audience during the mon- the prepared monologues, but also during the Q and a, I remember asking uh, Dr. Uh, Sandy Richter uh, from what she teaches the old Testament at Westmont. Um, she gave a killer talk. It was so good. And then during our Q and a, I was just, just dialogue. I, I, and I don't prepare questions. I'm just like, all right, sit down. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. We're just going to have a conversation on stage. And I remember somehow we got into like what it meant to bear God's image. And she gave, and anybody who was there remembers this because it was like, you could feel the like, some people were crying. Some people were like, oh my gosh, just like this, this two minute kind of explanation of what it meant to bear God's image in the most beautiful, theologically profound, like in depth, but powerful, like pastorally powerful. I'm like, that just happened because we were just talking, you know, and people were able to listen in. So I, yeah, I am. Um, I don't know. I, I would be a. I. I don't. I think I'd make a terrible church planner because I, I think I would try to <laughs> just explore different things. Like, how are people being impacted for the gospel? And let's do that. Let's. I don't know. Let's right. integrate that in way. And maybe. Maybe it's. Maybe that wouldn't be a good Sunday morning to have a couch conversation. Maybe it would. Maybe having a two-hour conversation on sexuality as part of the Sunday morning worship service would be amazing. Maybe. It, maybe it'd flop. I don't know. Maybe people wouldn't jive with that. But. I don't know. I guess that's, that's, I just um, would love to see us rummage around in the attic to try to see, all right, what are some things that, what are, where's, how, is there some fat we need to cut off here? You know, I don't know. Well, I think, I think, uh, I think you're asking really good questions. And of course, each listener and each, you know, community has to kind of wrestle these to the ground for themselves. And, and I agree that there could be some really great ways that uh, uh, more like a Q and a format or some other kind of ways of, going a bit off script um, or, or allowing for the dynamic tension in a, a room mm-hmm. to be addressed. I mean, we can only imagine that most of human history has included more of that. Certainly in the early church, you know, you sort of see this sort of kind of kinetic experiment of like, what does it mean to actually like follow the apostles teaching? And, you know, that's again, the book of Acts and Paul's writings indicate that there was just all sorts of stuff, good, bad, and, and, and who knows what happening. So um, I would encourage people to try to do that. And most of all, and not because I'm just a, um, like a what's new and what's next person. I actually think there's a lot to be gained from uh, traditions that are more liturgical and high church where they're, they're like, you don't have to figure it out every weekend. You're not trying to be in, inventive and in, innovative because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be 
said for, you know, we've been wrestling with this for centuries. And so people have been writing this stuff and this is what someone prayed the exact day, you know, last year or, you know, on the same liturgical calendar. And so I think there's something to be said about that too. Um, and we should, we should be, you know, honoring these different traditions, not just because they deserve honor, but because there's a reason they work. One thing I experienced at a, a church, um, a, about a year ago, I just was visiting a friend's church in, in uh, San Francisco area. And one thing that they did that I thought was really cool, and I don't see it quite as often as I think we could, or it, it was, it struck me as, as kind of a new and, and fresh way was that after uh, my friend Dave uh, Lomas preached, he, yeah. there was a, a pastor of prayer who kind of came up and, and sort of just talked about like what he had been hearing during that sermon and he said even made this kind of a kind of a passing reference to the fact that you know in the first service we felt like there was something happening but now i feel there's something different and it was this kind of real-time response in prayer and and then praying praying into that was actually really cool and it was you know there was a real time of responsive prayer to what god had the preaching of the word again one thing that i've could say incontrovertibly from the data is that prayer is one of the, mm. it's, it's, you know, the plain freeway uh, to accessing God. Almost everyone in our society, whatever they believe says that they pray, even atheists uh, mm. are very likely to admit that they pray. Um, and, uh, you know, young and old, male, female, Christian, non-Christian, um, there's a, there's a real openness, I think, to prayer pandemic again, sort of, was a high like people were searching for, for prayer and there was a, a lot of you know energy around prayer uh and books on prayer are very are very uh, popular at now scripted prayers how to pray and and so i just think this is a good example of something that could be quite intentional in our in our services is is making time to pray and not just in these little kind of like we need a transition so they can move you know, sort of stuff on stage because again really smart and even just regular observant people are going to be like, Oh, I see what you did there. You know, you, you needed to move the podium. And so like, how do we actually open ourselves up to, you know, like, no, we, we're a community of prayer house of prayer, Jesus calls the church. And so, and, and, and I think there are some ways of expressing that and that could be, you know, and, and, and another bottom line here is that people, people just get, they get easily into routines. And again, routine for routine sake, like like liturgy is is powerful and and should mm. be should should be kept but at the very point when we sort of think okay we've kind of got this nailed in the formula i sort of feel like we've we've probably missed something really important about how to surprise people in what it is that they're doing in their pursuit of god and um and so i would just keep encouraging leaders not to be innovative i use that phrase i probably even take that back it's like it's not innovation for the sake of being new and clever right. and all but it's really trying to be responsive on a, on a, an hour by hour and day by day and week by week way to a God who walks among us and is asking us not for, you know, kind of just keep doing it the way we've always done it, but to ask him like a new, a new moment, a new wine skin. Why Jesus words echo through the centuries and say, say to us, you know, a time is coming and now is when it's not contemporary or liturgical or this or another. It's like, if you Mm -hmm. worship in spirit and in truth, that's going to count. That's what God is looking for. And what profound words, um, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, a house of prayer and a life Jesus lived that was characterized by prayer. And we have a population that is hungry for prayer. And yet, and it's not cynical, but most churches are like, no, we got to skip, sip, you know, stick to the script. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. And people are just like, no, just like, let us sit in silence. Let us do some things that might not look like you know the way we've done it in the past, but there might be there might be a, a God of the universe who is waiting uh, waiting beneath uh, beneath those changes of plans and those moments of silence. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, a lot of parts in the world, you know, they pray, at least in the places I've been to, um, like in Nepal, the church all prays, but everybody plays prays at the same time out loud. <laughs> that's awesome. And your know, churches are you know 50, 60, 70, 80 people. Um, like, all right, we're going to go to a time of prayer and everybody's like just belting out these prayers. And it's like, it's not facilitated. It ends when it ends, you know, but people are just like crying out to God, you know, all at the same time. <laughs> I love it. Just so much energy, but so beautiful, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, that's funny. You said that so many people pray and yet people, Christians in particular struggle with prayerlessness. So maybe it's 
I know I should pray more and I don't, something like that, right? Or or, yeah. my, or the quality of my prayers are just, I'm distracted. I'm checking my phone every five seconds while I'm praying to God. Or, um, Man, well, wh- uh, one more thing. I guess one more question. I'll let you go, David. Um, what, what, like, what are you working on now? What's uh, do you have a big project on on your plate right now? And do you have any um, insights you can give us of what, what you're seeing? Well, first, it's been so fun to talk to you, Preston. It's been too long, and uh, yeah. yeah, we got we got to fix this and, and spend more time <laughs> together. I'll check out the dates too. That'd be fun to fun to come visit your your conference. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say maybe most honestly, and not that any, the rest of this has not been honest, but you know, I'm. Uh, almost three years now bereaved and uh, moved to Texas and uh, three kids, 24, 22 and 19, Emilyanica and Zach, amazing young human beings. And uh, what I'm working on is um, sort of moving forward in my life. I've started a new book uh, this last week, which is really fun to like, remember that I, Oh yeah, I really enjoy writing. Mm -hmm. I've been writing tons of things the last couple of years, but to get back into that and, and can you you tell us what what the book's going to be about? Uh, not yet. No, okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see where it lands. It's yeah. a you can text me when we're off. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all good. It's it's uh, it's still taking shape, uh, but it, it you know I've written different projects, and a lot of those have been kind of on millennials and Gen Z and the faith journey they've taken, and you know, kind of starting with UnChristian and like the that's a big book that was about hypocrisy of the church, and you know, it was a big study that that took us down a. a you know, a lot of interesting paths, uh, Gabe Lyons and I did that sort of was gonna, originally going to be the brand of Christianity. And that took us on a 10, almost 15 year journey of trying to understand would the you guys experiences. Read, of, yeah. Would you guys do another one of those, like a 20 year later kind of version? Is that, um, yeah, we've kind, of talk, we've kind of talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I love that book is so helpful, but now when I cite it, it's like, well, that was, you know, it's 20 years old, yeah, the data. So it's like, is it, um, yeah, I'd be curious. Yeah. So, you know, starting with that, like that's, part of what I, I mentioned the book, not, not to, to drop the name of it, but just to say, like, I've been on this journey to hear and listen to people who've gone through a lot of, a lot of challenges and hurts. And, and then a follow up book called you lost me where, you know, again, we're just like, Oh, wow. The sacred journey of listening to people who've been, who've been on their own deconversion journey. So um, I'm sort of with, with you and with your listeners in, in the complexity of these faith things. And then, you know, for me, like, where is God in the middle of brain cancer? Like, you know, holy crap, what a terrible journey that was. So, yeah, I think what I'm working on now is uh, is getting back to being a what I think God's called me to do as an entrepreneur and a leader of, of this company and, you know, really feeling as a 49-year-old the, the chance now to invest in younger leaders and voices and, you know, to, to try to, and, and in, in particular, everything I'm about now is around these new wineskins and try to help people think about what does it mean to truly follow Jesus in our time? If that's, you know, six people or 60 people or 6,000 people, or, you know, however we can help churches, leaders, parents, young people, I feel like a big shift in me is, is like a lot of my writing has been to focus on older generations and say, Hey guys, it's going to be okay. You know, the kids are going to be all right. Even as much as we really can, are concerned and should be concerned about their, their context and their, their trajectory. Uh, but now I feel like a real call to sort, sort of help actually stand up and support and encourage, you know, leaders under 40 uh, in, in uh, becoming the, the pillars of the church for the future. So and those are some just reflections after some time away and, being, you know, sort of committed to what God's doing with, you know, with my remaining time on earth, you know, when going through the process of helping my, uh, my late wife, you know, pass away. Um, again, it's, it sounds so sad and it was, but there was something really, really sacred about that hmm. gift of fulfilling my vows and helping her, you know, with a terrible and brutal disease. And then, and then I sort of feel like I'm living a kind of borrowed a time because not everyone lives as long as, as I like 49 is like, Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> I hope I get another year. You know, I think I will, but like only the Lord knows. And so let's, let's get to it and let's have fun. Let's, uh, let's enjoy life. Let's not try to be like too productive to try to change the world. I'm just trying to build a, a sweet business and, um, you know, care for these kids and, um, yeah, just get back into, into living. There's a great verse. Uh, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's been a real theme for me these last number of years. 
I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so what, what verse has, is that? What, what passage is that again? Uh, uh, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Very, very uh, last couple yeah. verses of Psalm 27. Oh, that's so good. David, thanks so much for uh, yeah sharing your heart and uh, for being honest and real. And uh, yeah, I love, love, love the questions you ask and all this stuff you're doing. So thanks for thanks for coming on Theology Rob. But most of all, thanks for being uh, an amazing agent in God's kingdom. That's a weird way to say Absolutely. that, but you know what I mean. Chris, and, yeah, I, I, I love you and, and Chris and just uh, all that you're up to. So um, it's uh, good to see you today. Part of the Converge Podcast Network.